This is Pod. A podcast. From Red Hot Publications. Red Pod. Red Pod. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this. My name is Robert Knipe, and I'm coming to you live from the plush welded studios at Catawba Valley Community College. This is Red Pub Pod. With me today is the project coordinator Poobah, Patty Thompson. She is the author whisperer. And our special guest today is one of our editors, a former English teacher, a former head of the Learning Assistance Center, now professional grandpa in his retirement, poet and writer Tim Peeler, not the Sasquatch Tim Peeler, nor the Tim Peeler from North Carolina State University who's done all the basketball books, but the poet and baseball historian Tim Peeler. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on here. And I am the unknown Tim Peeler. The unknown Tim Peeler. And Patty, how are you today? I am doing great. Thank you very much for asking. You can tell Richard's not here because you're in full podcast <laughs> captain mode. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, away. I'm not nearly as intimidated when Richard's not in the room because, you know, he's got that voice and all oh, that yes. stuff. So, you know, I'm able to, like, put on my NPR hat and uh, my <laughs> FM voice and kind of go from there. Uh, Mr. Peeler, you are quite a prolific author of both poetry and baseball history, 20-plus books, correct? That's right. Quite a few of them with uh, Red Hawk Publications. Can you tell us any of the titles? I think the uh, last three, maybe. Uh, Wait a minute, where's the titles? (laughs) Hey, cut this. (laughs) Cut this, cut this, It's been... But there's another one. The Uh, Life of... Jesus yeah, Duende. Yeah, yeah, but before that. Well, you uh, did the we, we. There we go. There it is. We see what remember. we want to see. Okay, we see what we want to see, which is a book about the Henry River Mill Village. And then a collaboration with uh, Clayton Joe Young called The Bird House. And then a book that's actually not a collaboration, which is called The Life and Times of Jesus, Jesus Christopher Duende and Daryl Cobb Runkle. I can't remember my own names. And then the most recent one, a uh, book of poems about a drive-in theater called First Season, which is another collaboration with uh, Clayton Joe Young, a photographer. And we are currently working on a second edition of West of Mercy, which is another book you did with uh, photographer Clayton Joe Young. Uh, that'll be out sometime within the next two or three months. It was a limited edition of 100 copies that was just sold by you and Mr. Young, correct? That's correct. Your original poetry books were baseball poetry. Uh, was your first poetry book of all time touching all the bases? Uh, those were the, the first two publications were baseball books, that one and Waiting for Godot's First Pitch. And are they still in print? Can uh, you still find them? I think Godot is, but... Touching all the bases is not. Okay, so if you want touching all the bases, you'll have to pay a scalper on uh, the Internet, probably some outrageous price for it. But it is worth every dollar that you spend on it, especially if you're a baseball fan. Uh, You haven't done any baseball poetry lately. Uh, Anything in the pipe for later on? Uh, The poems that I have in the George Mitrovich book will kind of double as probably my last baseball poetry book. And that is another book that is coming up from Red Hawk Publications, if I can ever get off my duff and get it done. (laughs) I've got all the elements for it, and we are working on it. Since the baseball histories, which you've also done some histories on the outlaw leagues, 
You've done baseball in Catawba County, where you have talked about the different kinds of teams that may have operated out of businesses or operated out of municipalities. You've mostly kept your poetry to like uh, maybe Southern culture. Is that the proper way of putting it? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Southern culture, Appalachian culture, lower middle class culture, working culture, all of those. Is there a reason why you're preserving this culture in in poetic form? Uh, Some of it is because I don't think that there's enough of a light focused on uh, certain classes in our society. And I mean, maybe people are coming around to it now, but that's why I've focused so much on that in recent years, Appalachian culture. Which one of these books has been, I mean, it's just like trying to to judge which of our children we love the most. I understand this is probably a question you can't answer, but which one of these books has been the most fun for you? I mean, out of all the titles you've done, it doesn't have to be a Red Hawk book, but... That's a good question. Out of the recent ones, the the Jesus Christopher Duende, because I had a lot of fun with it. There was a lot of experimentation. Uh, I was trying to do things that emulated some of what... Fred Chapel does in MidQuest, where the protagonist climbs down into a creek gorge, which is similar to in MidQuest, when the grandfather forces his grandson to climb down into a well and clean the sides of it. Right. So it's it's sort of like the, the Dante thing, you know, going through different levels of hell and then coming back out. And during that book, I was reading the collected... W.H. Alden, and I was very much under the effect of that. And when you get toward the end of the book, that's why you end up uh, reading a bunch of rhyme poetry, because Alden finally got the best of me near the book, and I had to put some rhymes in there. Patty, what is the most of the time we have uh, on the front of a on the cover of a book, you'll have like poems or a novel. What is uh, Jesus Duende called? Well, that's a good point because I remember when we had some beta readers look it over. They were curious about the term poetry, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's part poetry, part story. And so we've been referring to it as the the first poetry book that we've published. Tim, can you uh, elaborate further on what that what that is, what the reader could expect? Yeah, I've done uh, at least five or six books that are that have a narrative arc. They're written as as poems, separate poems but they all fit together and tell a story. This one, the most of anything, and and right at the last minute, uh, it hit me. What I'm doing here is a combination of poetry and prose, and why not call it a poetry? So it's kind of a... Which is goofy, but, you know, what can you say? (laughs) But for those... That's how I spend my time in retirement. (laughs) And, And, you know, what's been interesting is I have found it, it has been very accessible to an audience that might be poetry adverse, but because of the narrative story, in addition to the poems, it's maybe getting a wider reach because it's engaging and it's funny to read. So, yeah, that that is something that from the very beginning, when I started getting published in uh, book length uh, books in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, what I've always tried to do is reach as wide an audience as possible with poetry, and it's a very difficult thing to do because. There is an enormous amount of resistance to it because of what happens in the classrooms in public school as people are coming through. They are turned off by it. They don't want to be in the same room with it, you know, maybe not even the same county. So you really have to work hard to try to convince them 
that there's something in poems that they can relate to and that poems can be tied together and tell a compelling story. And that and that not every poem is going to speak to you. So you should right. not quit just because you run into one piece of poetry that you don't understand or or seems to go over your head. Because then you find someone like Emily Dickinson or you find someone, you know, that, that doesn't flummox you and you find out that you really do enjoy poetry. Right. And a lot of it has to do with how it's presented in the classroom, as you know, because you and I have both been in the classroom for a lot of years. Yeah, and that's one of the first things I always tell students in the classroom is it's time for poetry. And after they finish groaning, I then say, you know, that's okay. You're going to like some of this poetry, I guarantee it, but you're not going to like it all. And that's okay because that's the way we are with foods and drinks and people and everything else. So this presentation of poetry and the way that you're playing with genres and things like that, how does that work into your work here as a senior editor with Red Hawk Publications in your retirement? Uh, I'm not sure that it does. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. You stumped me, Robert. When you come across some of these folks' work, what is the what are some of the first things you look for when a poet sends us a submission and we immediately send it to you? What are some of the things you look for in that work? Here's the thing. I've been around this since the early 1980s, so I've pretty much seen it all, done it all, you know, that kind of thing. So what I always look for, always, always, is something that is going to surprise me. We were just talking about a book before we cranked up the microphones uh, by someone that we were getting ready to publish named Kay Jenkins, and he has poems in there that surprise me. You know, it's just, it's... It's great to see that because after a while, you kind of get numb to seeing the same thing over and over, just like anything else in life. So you want something that's going to surprise you. Do they surprise you in their content, or do they surprise you in their ability to defy convention? It it can be content. It can be turns of phrases. It can be perspective. You know, there's so many different ways because, you know, everyone's a different individual, so they can tell their stories in different ways. So there's always that potential out there to surprise people with your work. I will say, um, when I first started working with Red Hog Publications, the very first poetry collection that I read was by Bart Solerzik, and he's from Pittsburgh. And his book, and I'll have to ask Robert to remember the name of the poetry collection, but that said, his collection grabbed me like a, a bat. You know, it, it just took to me. And I didn't realize, having not read poetry in, in a few years, that his particular poetry style is called the decadent movement poetry. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, believe me, it is. Uh, okay. uh, it, it, well, here's the thing. It's like this, this poetry is about, like, you know, Thinking and and maybe doing some kind of recreational drugs, if you will. Uh, and I'm like, whoa! I didn't know poetry could be like this. And you know, after I finished reading it, which impressed me, I I, I asked Robert. It's like, I, you know, I didn't know that poetry couldn't just be like you know Walt Whitman. And he's like, oh, there's a whole range of poetry out there. That opened my eyes. It made poetry more accessible when I realized 
for every kind of person out there, there's going to be some type of poetry movement that can speak to you. So it's left me a lot more open-minded with the poetry that I read now. So, And for some of you who may be wondering, the, the book that Patty is talking about is, is basically just a collection of classic chapbooks that Mr. Solarchik did. And I can't recall any of the individual names, but... Uh, Walt if, Whitman is watching. Walt Whitman is watching. <laughs> yes, there's one of them. And then there was, uh, it seems like there was one about a man with a hat or a Stetson or something. Yeah, Some, something fedora. Fedora, that's the name of the hat. I mean, and they are. They're very, very interesting kind of um, poems that uh, I wasn't used to either. Except it's very blue-collar, working-class Pittsburgh. Yes. If, you, if you've been to Pittsburgh, yeah. he nails it. Yeah. It's just amazing. And there are some really good writers in Pittsburgh that I've known over the years. There's another one named Don Wentworth who can do the same thing that Bart does, which is really tell a story in a very compact way. And I think that's what he, if I'm not mistaken, I think in our book, most of those are very short poems. Yes, they are. And and I know, I can't recall these other names right now. There's a guy named John Corn, who's a much younger man, who's also very talented out of Pittsburgh. And I don't mean to leave anybody out, but there are others. Well, poetry, I've always said to my students, is, you know, the ultimate concentrated prose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's removing every word that is not needed and leaving those behind that will oftentimes leave a feeling or an atmosphere or something that is intangible but still will give you the story. And Bart Solarchik does a great job of giving you that that blue-collar Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania kind of feeling in a very compact yes. way of, of, of writing. Yeah, I wanted to crack open a six-pack of paps while I was reading that. Um, <laughs> it's also that very like... humanistic, too. I mean, it's extraordinarily emotional, and he just rings the bell. That's mm. all I can say about it. That's that one reason I was glad that we were able to get him to agree to do that book. Mm. Hey, the whole time you've been working with us, what's what's been a, a challenge for you? Uh, something maybe that you didn't anticipate in working on this stuff? or Waiting for the baby to take a nap <laughs> so that I could do some editing. <laughs> yeah, he has to also plan his trips out of the house around the babies taking naps. Yeah, Not that yeah. he leaves the babies there by themselves. No. So those of you well with your, tended. Yeah, those of you with your fingers on the phone ready to call the Department of Social Services, please don't do that. There is always somebody else in the house. But uh, that somebody else doesn't like you to leave too long. That is correct. Uh, because if they wake up and she has to deal with them by herself, then there's uh, that's where the trouble comes. What kind of different editing do you usually do to the works that come through the Red Hawk doors? Well, they they come to us in different stages. I would have to say some of the writers, in fact, um, thinking of Shelby Stevenson, I read his manuscript and did not put a single mark on it before we published it. I can't think of, I mean, there's almost always there's some kind of mistake in there because, you know, we're human and we make mistakes and we don't see them because we're too close to our own work. But they come to us in various stages. Sometimes we have to make suggestions about what to leave in, what to leave out, what needs a lot of work, what's weak, all you know, all those regular editing kinds of things. Otherwise, there's a lot of mechanics and that comes easily to me because I work for 25 years in a writing center where we help students edit their papers. And it's really an extension of that work, especially when we're dealing with prose. 
Do have you run into any poets lately that wouldn't like to have any of their poems removed or or fight against uh, uh, shortening a, a book or anything like that? Well, luckily, I have this buffer between me and the writers named <laughs> Robert Knight. Yeah, usually I handle those things. That's why it was a loaded I, yeah, question. Yeah, I don't I don't really see that part of it. I know that there's got to be some people at Buck. What we have to tell them, we have our other editor, uh, Aurora King, is really a stickler on mechanics, and she is quite good at it. I'm not so sure sometimes that someone who's a professional writer appreciates that kind of thing so much, but it has to be done. I mean, that's how I look at it. Well, we've had a couple of writers that have brought us longer manuscripts, novel-length things that we've actually sent them back to the writer and ask them to completely redo certain areas and certain things, yeah. remove entire sections. Have we had pretty much success with that? Can you think of a writer that has improved with the editorial oh, process? I think so. I, I mean, I would. the two novels that we're coming out with right now, uh, Greg Triggs and Tony Granger, both really worked hard to make their novels better before they got to press. And, and I'll go and add, because I work with the authors typically from, from the get-go, from the beginning. Greg's book, That Which Makes Us Stronger, this is his second novel, and he's a strong writer. So I, re- I remember uh, during the beta process, people that read it, they liked it. It was enough for us to know we wanted to go forward and publish it. And I do remember that both Aurora and Tim were like, this is really good, this is really strong. And while you did offer some suggestions and notes... It wasn't the most extensive, and I've said that to Greg, and he was he combated it. He's like, nope, I want to know what I can do to make it the best. If they're telling me it's good, great. I want it to be the best, and I let Aurora and Tim know, and you know what? They did a deeper dive and offered him even additional suggestions, which he did take. And Tony, on the other hand, this was his first novel, so his initial notes were more extensive, but to his credit, he did the work. He did everything that he was asked to do, and it made a much stronger book. Yeah, he did. And to the audience out there, I highly recommend both of these novels. I I think they're compelling, very good reads, and we should be proud that they're coming out from uh, Hickory, North Carolina, and Red Hawk Publications. Yes, that's a, It's a New Day by Tony Granger. It's on the website, redhawkpublications.com, and That Which Makes Us Stronger by Greg Triggs. Both of them are available. They are published and ready to go, and you get free shipping if you order them from our (laughs) website, and the royalties are greater to the author if you buy them off our website. So, And you can keep Amazon out of the equation, and Jeff Bezos won't send any more spaceships into space. Saving our environment. And I should mention that uh, Greg is actually from upstate New York. Tony is from... New Jersey. Trenton area. Trenton area, yes. So... Again, it's been one of those things where we're seeing an increase of people coming to us and asking us to do their work. So little old Hickory's getting on the map. And we have our own share of very talented people here in the Catawba County area. And from the Morganton area, we've got authors. From Statesville, we've got authors. We've got a very good poet, Elena Dagenhart out of Statesville, North Carolina, with yellow leaves. Speaking, that takes us into a transition. This April 22nd, that is a Friday, and it's going to be at what time? Is it going to be 5 o'clock? 5 p.m. to 6.30. 5 p.m. to 6.30. 
in uh, Kyler A. Dunbar building, room number 114, we are going to have a little workshop called Get Published 101, where we are going to have uh, interviews and we're going to have authors Greg Triggs, Mary Jo Peel, Tony Granger, and Fieli Matthias, and Tim Peeler, who will be here live in person instead of Memorex, talking about the publication process. And myself will be there to answer any questions. So if you want to know how to get published, you want to know the ins and outs, the submission standards, and the things like that, we will have that. That is free of charge. And it is part of Patty, the Catawba Valley Festival of the Arts. This will be the second annual three day festival that's completely free, held throughout Catawba County in different venues. And because Catawba Valley Community College is a partner, this is our contribution. Uh, in addition to our jazz ensemble that will play, our choir that will sing, and probably something else. Oh, Drum Joe, circle. Well, Joe Young is going to have his photography exhibit. Ah, yes. I believe the graphic design students are going to have some uh, demos and static exhibits. So there's a lot going on. Please make sure you check out the website. It is cv fa.org Catawba Valley Festival of the Arts Um, check us out on our website and we'll be sure to forward you the link to it we're thrilled to be able to do this get published workshop simply because typically there's a lot of emphasis on how to write you know get writing or you know get your writing groove on this is not quite for the person who's trying to figure out how to put that first word on paper this is really geared for folks that have been doing some writing um, and they want to get published. And of course, as we've been talking throughout our uh, other episodes of this podcast. Some of which you will hear out of order from this one because this is a special edition. Bonus. Bonus. Yeah, bonus edition done (laughs) to uh, help publicize the Get Published 101. We want to focus on those folks who want to know how best to publish. We know that there's, you know, self-publishing. We know that there's boutique publishers. We know that there are the top five publishers in New York City and any and everything else in between. So the attempt of this workshop on Friday, April 22nd, is to really kind of explain what some of your options are for getting published. And also, since we'll have some authors there, they can tell you their stories. And Tim, you've done it all, haven't you? You've been published by mainstream publishers. You've self-published a book. You've kind of run the gamut, haven't you? I have. You've also been in anthologies, correct? Yes. Your poetry's been in anthologies. Um, You were in Riders on the Storm with Carter Monroe and myself back uh, about, what, 20 years ago? Back in the good old days. Yeah, Patty, we covered everything. We really have. The only thing I just want to add is... This newest poetry collection that has come out, which is partnered with Joe Young's Photography. First season. First season. Please make sure you check that out. It's going to be noted on our website when we advertise this podcast. And the reason why is if you are of a certain age and remember drive-in theaters, and when you drive by them now, goodness, think of all the memories that happened there. I personally will never tell you what I did at (laughs) drive-ins. Neither will I. But. But I did. (laughs) As I was reading your poetry book, it reminded me, our family went a lot. You know, Station Wagon, late 60s, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, True Grit. All these memories came flashing before my eyes as I was reading the poems. And then, of course, I got into the 70s and 80s, and I was a teen. So the drive-in theaters have had an impact on our lives, and it's kind of sad to see them kind of go by the wayside, although I heard there was a resurgence during COVID. 
Supposedly, yeah, there's one toward Morganton that's supposed to be, or Kings Mountain, Shel- or somewhere Shelby, like Shelby. that. That is really well. There's one on, yeah. on the, you know, somewhere down there is supposed to be really nice. Yeah. There was an entire genre of film that used to oh, be yeah. manufactured just for yeah. drive-ins. That you know is not manufactured anymore. The closest thing you can get now is some of the direct video stuff that they are manufacturing now just for streaming services. But there was a time when, you know, you'd go see the new Burt Reynolds film and he and Hal Needham would be blowing stuff up and Smokey would be running from the bandit and chasing the bandit and it's wonderful stuff. Tim, you got anything else you want to say before we... I think I've said enough. I think we've bored everybody about (laughs) as bad as you can bore them. So, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you live on Memorex from the plush-welded studios of Catawba Valley Community College, this is Red Hawk Publications. This is Robert Knipe along with Patty Thompson, Tim Peeler, and we appreciate you listening. And tune in anytime, and if you have any questions, please contact us via the website. That's redhawkpublications.com. Don't put a www in front of it because you'll get sent somewhere else, redhawkpublications.com. I want you to have a wonderful rest of the day, and thank you for joining us. This has been Red Pod. Red Pod. A podcast. Red Pod. From Red Hawk Publications. Red Pod. Red Pod.